Today's podcast has been brought to you by WeConnect Construction, a lead generation website for the construction industry. Check it out, www.weconnectconstruction.co.uk. It's decent. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Mikaela. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast, Maggie. You know... Um, so for our listeners, I've met Maggie previously. We've we've spoken a lot about what she does. You're an absolute inspiration. You know, I love you to death. So Bless I really you. appreciate you taking time out to come and speak to Thank us. Thank you for inviting me. Nice to, to be here. Oh, Good old Bolton. Yes, that's it. Bolton <laughs> FM. Woo! We love it. <laughs> right. Well, to get us into things, Maggie, we do a quick fire round. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to say this or this. Dangerous. <laughs> There's nothing too controversial here. It's quite, um, it's quite light-hearted. So you've just got to say what you feel. All right. Right. Travel or home? Both. <laughs> You've got to pick one. Can I go? I've got to pick one. Ooh. Yeah, it's gone to your head situation. I better say home, Hunter. <laughs> In case your son's listening. Yeah. Loose women all around. Loose women. Stay-at-home mum or police officer? Stay-at-home mum. Autobiography or charity? Autobiography. Reality TV or documentary? Documentary. Night in or night out? Night out. I know you're still fabulous, Maggie. <laughs> Brexit or remain? Um, Brexit. Quiet life or fame? Fame. Yes, good girl, Maggie. Got Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, you know, especially the Brexit on the <laughs> one, we do get people shirting around it, oh, so I'm you glad know you what? went in. I'm bloody sick of all the shenanigans. Just do it. Yeah, I know, just get it done with, isn't it? Yeah. And I love the fact that you still went for a night out as well, Maggie. Yeah, well, there's life thing. in the old dog yet, you know, Michaela. She loves a good party. I do like it. I like and it. And what I'm interested in, though, is we said autobiography our charity so we're going to go on to your charity later on in the podcast, but these are two major passions for you as well, aren't they? What you've been working on, so you've done an autobiography. Yeah. You're currently working yeah. on a charity, but the autobiography is really. I think the autobiography is really what has led to the charity. Yeah. You can't really have. I mean, you can't really have one without the other. Because yeah. the only reason I'm doing the charity is because of what I've learnt, and I can put that now into the bigger good. Um, you know, I've learnt a lot in the last few years that I wish I hadn't learnt. Yeah. But to let that go and not make something of it. I mean, I've helped lots of girls that I know in Rochdale. Yeah. But the number of messages and Instagrams and Twitters and um, direct messages I get from people who have nowhere to go. Yeah. Uh, I can't do the same for everybody. Yeah. But all those, mainly young women, but young men as well, they all need somebody and they need somewhere to go. They need somebody to hold their hand, point them in the right direction. And so that's why I'm starting the Maggie Oliver Foundation, which is amazing as well. We're gonna we're gonna go into more detail yeah. on it, but let's start from the beginning, Maggie. How far back do you want to go? Right <laughs> at the beginning. No. So, I mean, you was a stay-at-home mum. That that yeah. is what you did. Yeah, and that is still one of the best things I've ever done in my life. You know, my my book talks about my background because I think it was important for people. People really only know me as a whistleblower. Every yeah. time I'm on TV or doing an interview, you get a five-minute little snap, 
and they always say Maggie Oliver, whistleblower, ex-police officer who exposed the Rochelle grooming scandal. But there is a lot more to me than that. Yeah. That has been the last few years. You know, I had four kids. I love being a mum. Um, I stayed at home with them once I had two and then three. It just was not practical to go back to work. Yeah. My husband was a joiner. So, you know, I brought them up and I stayed at home and I loved every minute of it. And, I mean, I'm a little bit old-fashioned in a way because I do feel that, you know, society now, people are being paid peanuts and zero-hour contracts both have to work. Yeah. What is happening to the kids? They're being pushed from pillar to post. Nobody does a job as a mum or a dad like you do with your own kids. Yeah. And we've got, I mean, it's, yeah, we've got society in many ways breaking down. Yeah. We've got all this knife crime. We've got not, no police officers. We've got, you know, people getting away with um, abusing kids and not being addressed by the law. So for me, the, the root cause of that part of it is that kids are left to their own devices so yeah. might not be a very sort of sexy thing to say but I do feel that kids need a mum or a dad around yeah I think it's I mean I can't wholeheartedly agree because I'm a working mum and which, I get that I, it's a debate but yeah I think it's when it comes to um the time that you do spend with them the quality of that time now I get if parents are working all hours I mean they, they can't do that and it, there's got to be sacrifices to be made. Yeah. If you need to put food on the table, Absolutely. you need to put a roof on them, then you've got to work, especially if you're a single mother, which which I was for, and, for and years And the well. thing is, I think with you, though, Michael, you've got, um, you're not on a zero-hours contract. You know, you're, you're self-employed, you're your own boss, and you work your life around yourself. But if you're working in Tesco's and, and you, you, you're on a, you know, you're not guaranteed hours, you don't know what your wage is going to be at the end of the week, you know, you're you're really scrambling around. To I think make it's ends the meet. whole family support system what's missing. The whole lot. So even like decades ago, she would say, "Oh, like in my generation, my nan did work, but it was part time. So if my mum couldn't did. have us, then my nan had us. Yeah. Or there's some family figure yeah. who's looking after you. There's, whereas now everybody's working. Everybody's got to work. There's just yeah. there's everybody's no juggling coming from anywhere. Yeah, but you used to get these family. Yeah, you used to get a family wage. You know, one parent used to earn enough to keep a family. That doesn't happen no. now. So, and the, the, people are sort of kidded into thinking that it's great to work. But a lot of those people working are doing it for necessity. Yeah. Not because they choose to. So I'm, I'm quite... I feel that I was lucky to spend that time with my kids. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, to be honest, I love my children, but it is a break going to work. <laughs> It is easier. It is easier, it is easier working than my son's nine months old. Now I went back work when he was four weeks, and I'm lucky. I have I have one day off a week with him, so I I have um, I work a four week. It's hard four, work. four day a week, um, but it is hard in those three days when I've got him intense and he's just like <laughs> now he's just at the point where he's running around in this runner thing the yeah. walker things and everything's like ba 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 screaming throwing food at me I'm just like mate yeah. like please absolutely <laughs> yeah. as much as I love him though I, I do look forward to the break of going to work I do agree with what you're saying to an extent. I understand why you're saying yeah. that, but I can't. I couldn't possibly agree because no, I, 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 and I get. Him. That's why I said I'm. I just think the time that you have with them should be quality time. You know, you, the, when you're with them, then that is when you're teaching them discipline. Yeah. You know, like this is what happens. And you know, as long as they're at a good school, you see my son. I'm not joking. My eldest one is nine. 
the bell rang at 3.30 for summer holidays and he just turned into a little psychopath. And we, it's as if he knows that six week holidays are here. Oh, I'm going to have no discipline. You know, from like the kids clubs and that. Yeah. We've got like a, a childminder having him as well. But the, it, it's not as strict as school, sit down, do your work, calm yeah, it's time. it's a different world. It's, yeah, so yeah. he's just like manic for six weeks, well, isn't it? I've got two, two little grandsons and my daughter's a childminder. So she has been there for Jake and Charlie, but she's her house is like, she's like Pied Piper. But, you know, my two grandsons, they play her up. Yeah. The ones who go to her are really, you know, well-behaved. That's and, it. You be, they behave for somebody yeah, else, don't they? And honestly, it comes yeah. on and be, everything's like a big drama. Like, I was thinking, empty, I said to him, can you empty bins? Me, There's three bins. I want three pound. I'm like, empty the bins. That's what I won't give you. He's taking eight. after his mother. He's just being enterprising. <laughs> Starting early. <laughs> so then you waited till you. So then you waited till well, no, all your children was grown. Or? No, I didn't. Um, when my youngest was three, I went back to college and I did two A levels. And then when he was five, I went back and did a full time degree. Oh, but good. that fitted around. I had a. You know, I was starting to pick up the piece of my own life. And yeah. I wanted to be a teacher. That's what I was going to do. All right. Okay. So I had to get a degree. Um, and and so how old was you then? 37. Fair player. 37. I, you know, I went to a grammar school when I was... Um, but my mum and dad felt it was a waste of time. Even though I was academic, I would say. Not practical, but I was academic. Um, you know, for a girl to get an education, she was going to get married, she was going to have kids. And I actually conformed, really, to, to that to a large extent. Yeah. But I always felt that there was more I wanted to do. So, See, so even though you do think yeah, this, like it is it's still, kind of, yeah, it's, it is still part of you where you're like, you still, you still want your own life as well. Of like you, you can't do. just be just a mother. You, can't you need to be other things yeah. as well, don't you? Hundred percent. And so when I did that when I was 37, and then um, I applied for teacher training in my final year, and that's when I thought, well, if I don't get into teacher training, what else could I do? I thought, well, I'd, maybe the police and go into child protection, and it would be a career forever you know, to retirement. I'm not the kind of person that can sit around and do nothing because it's it's right. You know, women need a life of their own. Um, so I got into both teaching and the police. I decided to go in the police and I was I was 41. Yeah, so I was very much uh, a square peg in a round hole. Because you have to do all physicals and that as well. Everything, yeah. So was that tough? Very tough and, yeah, very tough. And I... I couldn't run even when I was at school. So having to run the bleep test when I... That, yeah. I was OK at everything else. I did the... You get, like, these psychometric tests and um, and then you get an interview. But you have to do a physical. And as a 41-year-old woman, I was doing the same physical as, say, a 20-year-old man. Yeah. And it was a killer. But um, my husband, I said, I'll never do this. I'll never get in. He took me over to the field across the road every night and he, he, like, marked out the, I think it's 100 metres, yeah, two T-shirts. And then we'd have a little kiddies tape recorder, put it on the grass, and I'd be <laughs> running, like, between these <laughs> bloody T-shirts, and all the kids were like, go on, Mum, go on. Oh. And, you know, I I just about got to level seven eventually, um, which meant you passed. And all then right. I had to score everything else on the... You had to do sit-ups and burpees and pull-ups, and, and I knew I could do that. They should keep people doing it though, because I see some police officers and I'm like, you passed that physical 20 years ago, mate, because if I leg it now, you ain't catching it. No, well, I never pretended I would catch him, but I had other skills. You know, you go in as a woman of that age and you've got your life skills. I've brought up four, well, I've got four kids and you, you change as you 
mature, don't you? Yeah, I think you definitely, especially when you have children, you just become more compassionate. Yeah, you do. So you're more understanding of yeah. situations. And sometimes, you know, people break the law, but sometimes it does take compassion as well as the punishment to explain yeah. to them, listen, this is it. Like, you're going to get support as well, but you're going to get punished for, for something you've done because not everybody is a terrible criminal either. No, just absolutely. circumstances no. have led to... Absolutely. And I mean, I think that I had always had slightly different perspective on things so um, I do talk in my book about when I was I think I was just out my probation or just before I got out my probation being sent to a big supermarket on on my patch because I was based in Moss Side so it was all gangs and drugs and you know really serious crime shootings. Yeah, no, you're just like so glamorous as well and what was they thinking when you rode up like right you're under arrest. Well I, you know what I, I found that people were on the whole decent people um, and I was not my job as a police officer to judge. It was my job to put the evidence together, to put before the court to prosecute and for a jury to decide. So I, w- I felt that was always fair. Um, but I bet you got so much more. Because, you know, I don't want to call the police at all. There's some, they do amazing work, obviously. There are some questionable ones, and those are the police officers who won't have that kind of level of respect. As if you turn up and you've got respect for them, you're doing your job, but you're going to show them respect, then you'll get the Absolutely. same back, won't you? Absolutely. And, and people um, will talk to you. They, you know, I mean, most people have got a healthy respect of law and order. Um, if, and and, and I, my my experience was that even in in the gangs, they had a sense of, you know, they knew they were doing wrong. And if if the evidence was there to, to prosecute them, the very bad, the, the worst of the worst were the ones that were very difficult to pin down. The the easy targets are not really. How shall I put it? I feel that because of the lack, the, the, there's a lot of good police officers. Um, an awful lot of good ones. I question a lot of the the people at the top of the organisations, and um, the decision making that they um, that they make. People at the bottom have to uphold. Um, but my journey has led me to believe that there's a lot wrong with policing, um, and it's really interesting. I, I just mentioned that there's a big piece in the Daily Mail today where an actual judge has come out, and he has said that the Metropolitan Police have, have lied all about this, um, you know, the paedophile ring in high places, yeah. um, Ted oh, yeah. Heath and um, Harvey Proctor, and they've withheld um, evidence, they've, they've got search warrants under false pretenses. Well, what I saw in relation to the grooming gangs, um, I talk about in my book. That well, what pe- I don't understand is, is, is just why. I just, I mean, why? Because they can. But just, I just don't understand like, okay, so let, let's talk about what you did. Um, so Maggie's, um, you was, oh, what's called a consultant and making the... I was the programme consultant on three girls, but um, I didn't start working on that till 2013, really. 2013. And previous to that, you'd worked on... I worked on a, on a grooming case. I was a family liaison officer, um, as well as a detective, and I worked on the major incident team and because of my because I was different from recruits I I tended to get a lot of the um, when I first started I did a lot of jobs in relation to like domestic abuse 
If there was a rape, I would go to it. If there was a, a kid missing from home, I would be sent to it. Um, I, to the victims. Yeah, yeah. And, and people who were very vulnerable. Or, and also, um, if there was multi-agency work involved, I was somebody who would kind of try and bring people together. Um, I always say that, you know, the police, it's a police service. And we police in this country by consent. We only need to be a police force when it's absolutely necessary. And I was always a um, person who was, a, you know, I would approach them and most of the time people would cooperate and tell you what had gone. It was very, very rare that you needed to bring in force. But so in 2004 and five, I was put on a job that was about... Um, it was the first time I became aware of grooming that young girls actually in Manchester City Centre and around Manchester City Centre were being groomed and abused by gangs of predominantly Pakistani men. Um, and I worked on that for about a year and a half. And then my husband was terminally ill. We had a full major incident team putting all the evidence we'd gathered onto a database um, for serious prosecutions for rapes. Social workers had been trying to get this kind of crime dealt with by police for years and nobody wanted to do anything but that that is the why like i, I don't understand i just well, don't understand why why they didn't yeah why they're not prosecuting that, yeah. every single person who they know about why would how did that so this never ended up going they, never, nobody got convicted did they nobody even got charged nobody even got arrested when i came back to work after norman died three months later that job had been buried completely disappeared. So in the midst of it's, all this, what you've got going on, you've worked on this case for two years, you take three months off because yeah, your husband normal, passed away. Yeah. And then you come back and it's just... Just gone. And I didn't. it made no sense to me because I had spoken to these kids. I'd spent a year and a half speaking to social workers. We, we had... Was over, it overwhelming evidence? Overwhelming evidence. We had 207 men on a database that we knew were abusing these kids. We... You know, I'd been personally with another officer on behalf of the team. We were called Operation Augusta. I'd been to Chester House to see what the four, the, the 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 man who was in charge of crime in GMP, and we presented him with a report documenting the evidence, saying what we'd found. He took it to what's called the Gold Decision Making Group at Greater Manchester Police, who accepted this problem. They then resourced our investigation with a full team from the Serious Crime Division, and it was all being put onto a specialist database for a few months. I went off work as all that was going on. It was just a full-running job. And I came back three months later, and the job had died a death. And I... How? Like, what did they say here? Did they... I could not get any answers, just that there was insufficient evidence, um, that, you know, nobody was arrested, nobody was charged, and I knew that was wrong. I knew what was happening to these kids. I knew where these men were operating. I knew the premises that oh they were abusing God. kids in. But I'd just lost my husband. I'd got four kids, two of whom were still at school. You know, I was, I'd been with Norman since I was 20. I was in a mess, and I didn't physically have any evidence to back up what I was saying. Yeah. And I was just a, const a detective constable, you know, and one voice in in this organisation that will not listen. But do you even know, do you know the reasons now? I do, why? Well, now, I mean, I'm. this is 14 years ago, 15 years ago. I have had all those years to try and piece together what happened. Process it. Yeah, to process it. And there are several reasons, in my opinion. 
First one, that in the early 2000s, the government were um, directing police forces to um, run the organisation to meet uh, targets, so performance indicators. The performance indicators were all about acquisitive crime, so burglaries, robberies, theft from motor vehicles. Police forces got ticks in boxes for meeting those targets. Rape and child abuse were not reflected in those targets. How is that just not like the biggest thing? It, this is, it shocks earth. me to this day, Michaela. So th- that was one of the reasons. They were getting um, performance-related bonuses, depending on how well they met those targets. Secondly, these kids were acknowledged and were as being very vulnerable. On Operation Augusta, most of those victims were living in care homes. On Operation Span, they weren't, but on Operation Augusta, they were. So the, the powers that be felt that they actually didn't matter. You know, these kids are beyond, they were making a lifestyle choice. They were choosing to go out into Piccadilly Gardens or they were being picked up in cars by, you it's know, gangs so of men. Wrong. It is wrong. So but wrong. as a mum of four, I knew that was wrong. You know, we started... They were already, like, in care homes, though, so, like, victims to whatever, like, they've not chose that life. I mean... No, they haven't. They were God not knows what's happened with the parents, protected. but... And then they, they've already victims to all of this. 100%. And then they're getting abused by probably many of their trust as well. Well, they see them as a boyfriend because these gangs are very skilled. They are very manipulative. That is what grooming is. And they would go in and... A younger guy would probably go and befriend one of the kids... And, you know, pull them out and these kids think, oh, it's great, this guy is good looking. Before you know it, his mates are involved. They're passing them to another mate and another mate. Then they're taking them to a house where there might be 20 men, 50, 60-year-old men in a room with one child. And they'll all, you know, a lot of them will rape her. And I knew that that was going on. I also knew... Oh, my that, God, I'd lose my head. Well, I would just lose my head. I, I was, you know, I can't tell you how, hor- how badly this has affected me. It it almost destroyed me, but I was powerless to do anything. That three-month period of time um, meant that I didn't have any paperwork, I didn't have any any evidence, there was a gap in my knowledge, and despite the fact I tried to get answers, I was blocked at every turn, and in the end I had to let it go, and I, I never got over it. I never forgot about these kids. The other factor is... Um, that I would always say these kids were um, were silent victims because they had had very tough lives. They didn't expect to be protected by anybody. Yeah. There was very little in their lives. They were living in a kid's home. And actually, kids' homes serve a purpose, but in my very strong opinion, they do not look after the welfare of those kids. The kids that go missing, for instance, they disappear on a Friday night or a Wednesday night. The, the, the staff in the home would actually ring the police and report them missing. I used to go to a lot of those reports of kids missing. And the, the, the workers in the kids' homes would then believe they had absolved themselves of their responsibility because that was now the police responsibility, responsibility to find those kids. We'd eventually find them. Take, they'd go back to the home. I remember one little boy who was about 11, and he lived in a care home on my patch, and I'd regularly, every weekend, take him back home. And I would Where would he go? He'd be in Piccadilly Gardens. He was being dragged out by the older kids. He was in a kid's home where there were much older kids. He 11 was year old, 11-year-old little boy. And, I mean, I can't say his name, but I've never forgotten it. And I would pick him up and I'd take him back and I'd sit in his bedroom with him on the bed and say, look, 
you you're putting yourself in danger. You know, keep safe. Did you know? And we put reports in saying that this little boy needs to be in some form of secure accommodation. Yeah, like foster care. Well, or... foster care or a secure home. The problem was, everybody knew that, but if the police. May, if the police found him that place, it came out of police budget. If the court sent him, because he was getting in trouble with the police as well, they would have to pay. If the social services did, they had to pay. So this little lad went round and round in circles. And I tell you, Michaela, he was found dead at age of 16. No, uh, he wasn't Maggie. Yes, he was. And they are the consequences of not protecting these kids from a young age. How did he die? Of a drugs overdose. But you could see that coming when he was 11. So I knew all these things. I was, you know, I went back to work. That never left me. And I found out what I did find out, which I didn't know at the time. My Norman died on the 5th of July, 2005. Operation Augusta was a full job with a full major incident team, a runner. We were going to, you know, we were going to run that job the men were going to be prosecuted and arrested. It would be dealt with. The morning of the 7th of July was the London bombings. The last entry on that database in GMP was the night of the 6th of July. Now, people can make of that what they want, but, I all, but there was a big fear of Islamophobia. We knew the report about Operation yeah, Augusta. Say, do you think? The offender profile, the vast majority were Pakistani men. The victims... the well, actually, every victim in Operation Augusta was a, a young white girl in care. Um, so I, you know, it, it, you can't ignore those facts. And also what has come to my attention since, probably within the last three years, was that in 2008 it was, the Home Office sent a circular around to every police force in the United Kingdom to say that this kind of crime must not be investigated that it was a lifestyle choice that these kids were making. and Who sent that round? The Home Office. And, and I the only... The Home Office say, don't investigate... Don't investigate this crime. They are making... Child rape and abuse. Yes. Um, and I only know that because Nazir Afsal, who was the, the head of the CPS, um, halfway into Operation Span, he made that public. That was a secret circular that was circulated. So but, you I mean, had together you all those... in there and they're saying, we need more police, there's this, there's it, and you, all these problems. Are they not seeing that all these people, every single person who commits a crime, has been a child once? Now, how many of those people, if you look at the statistics, came from good backgrounds, came from st- home, stabilities, mum and dad, everything happy and healthy? There will be... I don't know what they are, but it will be a very small percentage. And then if you look at the children who have been brought up in questionable surroundings, with questionable people coming from care homes, who then go on to take drugs, commit crime. Why are they not thinking, right, we need to invest in our future? If we want this crime to stop in 15 years, all they give a shit about is there and then these immediate figures. What can we stop? I totally agree. Instead of thinking in 15 years' time, if we concentrate on these kids now and help them and invest money in them, then in 15 years' time, the crime will not be as high. Instead of sending a letter in saying, don't investigate. I mean, this to me is as bad as murder. It, to me, it, it's, you, it's you gross criminal neglect. It, it's corruption. I mean, and if you rape a young girl, I know. her life will never be the same again. Never be the same. You get no. people who overcome it. You get people who do well from it. You know, you get these fighters. 
I know these women. I know them. And you get people who can succeed, but then you get women whose lives are destroyed. And even when you're successful, the things that have happened to you as a child or as a woman... And never going. They, ne- no. they are never leaving you. That is something you live with for the rest of your life, just as if Absolutely. somebody was murdered. So how is this not a major crime? How is this not something it is. what is... It's wrong. And that is why I had to leave my job. Because it is, you know, I've kind of dedicated my life to trying to expose this, to talk about it. And to this day, not one senior police officer has been held accountable for those failures. That's why today the, the article in the Daily Mail from a judge who is saying that the Met Police have lied and have not, um, they are criminally responsible. I have been saying for years that chief constables who allowed this to happen are criminally responsible for allowing generations of kids to be sexually abused. Of course they are. But you, I've been trying for years, I'm still working on it with, um, with Harriet Wistrich, who's a very well-respected human rights lawyer, um, the barriers put in place to to challenging the status quo are so overwhelming that it takes over your life. I've now been spending seven years and we are still just at the point of trying to get to the Supreme Court. It The, the odds are stacked against you and the kids themselves struggle to live with what's happened to them, never mind fight these battles. So I'm trying to fight the battles on behalf of all these kids because I do have a voice and I do have evidence, and I do have the facts. But it isn't just quite as simple as of saying what the facts are. My, my book... But it should be that simple. It should be. You've got the evidence, you've it got the facts, be. that is it. And that's what but I is, thought. But how is it just, it is not that simple? that's not how it is, Michaela. And, oh my God, what an education I have had. I joined the police to do good. You know, I, every police officer swears an oath of attestation... You know, you promise to uphold the law, to protect the vulnerable, to be impartial, to, um, yeah, to, to, to those, you know, you, you, you swear, I haven't got the oath of attestation with me, but you, you, they're the things that you promise to do, every police officer. But at some point on their way up the promotion system, some police officers let go of those. I think it's round about the rank of superintendent. They never get beyond that rank unless they are able to put the wealth, the the the, the welfare of the organisation above their conscience the victims, yeah. and above the needs of the victims. And um, Peter Fye was the chief constable when I was shouting out about Operation Span. He was knighted. You know, he says to this day that he's met me many times. He has never had a conversation with me. He refused to meet me. He has had a knighthood. He knew what was going on with these kids. He's one of many. Bernard uh, Hogan Howe, he's been knighted. That's what this article is about today, about Sir Bernard Hogan Howe So lying. as long as you cover things up, then you'll get knighted. Is absolutely. Just I believe, forget everybody, all absolutely. the victims. I believe they are political pawns protecting the establishment. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It's destroyed me because I don't trust any of them anymore. Um, and that is a sad thing to say for a, somebody who dedicated 16 years believing I was there to do good. Um, but well, I you're just doing the good that they say do. And that, yeah. And when I challenged that good, then I, I would have been, if I hadn't resigned, I w- they couldn't have sacked me. But they would have put me in a, a back-end office and I would have been doing 
pointless jobs. What it comes down to is, though, everybody, police officers, we're all just human. And they've worked their way up to this point. And they know if they don't do what the Home Secretary says, then they're going to lose the job. They'll be on good money. They'll be working good hours. And I get They've that. got a good pension. I get and that. And so to them, that's their life. So they'll be thinking, right, if I don't do this, no matter how wrong it is, I'm going to lose everything. And then what What? what good is it going to do? Because I'm just one person I, I fully on my agree. Own. But still, you did it. And probably because I was an older woman when I joined, I had very well-developed sense of what you was right and what was wrong. You shouldn't get into the police if you do not want to police. But I think most people do. I think when people join, they genuinely want to do good. Um, and there are a lot of good police officers. And I'm in touch with a lot of ex-colleagues. The morale within within Greater Manchester Police is absolutely rock bottom amongst ordinary police officers. You know, um, I'm not... I'm not directing any of my criticism at those officers. I'm directing it at the ones at the top of the organisation yeah. who feel that they are above the well, law. Well, they're the ones who's giving the orders. Yeah, they're the they ones are who are closing the, the cases. And, I mean, this is becoming quite a political discussion, but I, you can't have this discussion without... You know, I've been to see Andy Byrne, who was the mayor of Manchester, together with two other senior police officers. Um, nearly two years ago, we gave him a list of over 21 examples of where Greater Manchester Police are failing and you know examples of of those failures with with evidence he has just done nothing about it so and he is meant to hold greater manchester police to account that is his job um i voted for for uh, for andy burnham because i heard what he said about hillsborough but he has let me down um he set up an investigation an independent review into what went wrong in operation augusta as a result of um, me speaking out on the betrayed girls, that is nearly two years in now. We still haven't had a report. Um, the, I mean, I could. So, what about these? Do you say two hundred and seven men? Yeah, nothing happened to them. So they just out on the streets raping little right, girls. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, the evidence wasn't collected on the day on on the police systems either. In Operation Span, which was an identical job to Augusta. So, let, right, okay, so for our listeners who don't know, to differentiate here, Operation Augusta is what you did in 2004 Four and five. Four and five, yeah. And then, your husband passed away, that yeah. case was closed, you've come back into the police force, yeah. and then, what have you done from that point? I was on the major incident team, so I, I mainly worked on murders, um, a lot of gang-related murders. I, I worked on one job where I went to Jamaica, the little boy the little Pakistani boy who was kidnapped in Pakistan. I was the family liaison officer on that job. He, he came back and um, there was, there was a, it was a really big job. So really serious cases I worked on. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, I, it was said in, in one of the documents that came back that you know I was recognised as, and I'm not saying it to big myself up, just because um, if people try and bat me off as a like a bitter and twisted police officer, I was not that. I was a good police officer, and I, it was said in one of the re- the documents that came to me when I started to speak out that I was the best family liaison officer that GMP had, and you know I was recognised as as such. If a job was going wrong or there was a, a job that needed some sensitivity, I, I would get that job. So. I was working on murders and I wasn't working in child protection 
But then when Operation Span started to bubble in 2000... And this is where the, what yes. the documentary was made on. And the drama Three was Girls. made based on... And this on is what year was this at? 2010. So this is a, a good while after then. Yeah, I, 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 had, I had to, to kind of... It, it never left me. It never left me. Um, but, you know, I couldn't do anything about it. Um, and so then what did they say? Like, oh, we've got this. Well, in middle of 2010, they did a review of the property system. Um, and the, whoever was doing the review, one of the exhibits officers, actually found a fetus in a freezer in GM GMP. And that fetus had been taken from uh, a child victim of the grooming gangs and put in a freezer. They were going to, without her consent, without the family's knowledge, and it had sat there for two years. And this routine property review uncovered this, um, and it kind of opened up this case, which had actually been dropped in 2008. And I was approached by the powers that be and said, can you come and speak to us? Right, we've got another job. And as they started, I already knew about it, actually. Okay, what the fuck? I mean, a fetus in in like a police in a, in an exhibit bag, yeah, in a freezer. Um, what? But that had been seized unlawfully. This little girl had had a termination. What? And they've said to the doctor, or I, I mean, I wasn't there, but obviously, social services, crisis intervention team, and police have collaborated, and police have gone along when she's had the termination, and they've seized the fetus after the termination. How would they not discuss this with her? That, that never is, told her. Never told her. Been in a freezer for two years. Yep. This is like the old. The hay. doctor allowed it. How has any of this taken place? Just that one incident. If you don't discuss any, just that one just incident that one alone. Thing. Yeah. Have, have people been held accountable? Nope. Nope. And I, you know, it is just it, sick. it's just disgusting, and I'm shocked to this day that nobody has been held to account. This isn't the officer who actually seized it. This is the decision-making people who directed that officer to go along. Yeah, who said this is yeah. all right and acceptable. Yeah. Don't, don't have a discussion with It's just been whitewashed. You know, they'll say, oh, the IPCC, which is now the IOPC, looked at this. No, they didn't. They looked at what had gone wrong in 2008. They have always presented Operation Span as though it was a fantastic all-singing, all-dancing job. Well, it wasn't. Um, I'm talking about Operation Span. So that started this job, and I was approached. Um, and as well as that, this girl's, the, the child who had had, she had special needs. This man had started to abuse her from being 12. She was just 13 when she got pregnant. Her sister had been arrested at the age of, she'd been 14 and 15. Um, she'd been arrested on suspicion of being a madam and bringing other children into the grooming network. How can a 14-year-old be a madam? She can't. To me, she's a victim of these very, very um, manipulative men who have groomed her. That is what grooming yeah, of course, is. She'll be like, oh, do you want a boyfriend as well? That's right. She's 14. She didn't have a clue yeah. what was And she was on. actually... Um, a mother, uh, another child in the family had died. Mother had a nervous breakdown. She was caring for a, a baby sister. These kids are living in turmoil. They needed help. On top of that, these two kids were also on the child protection register. The mother was going to social services case conferences and saying, my children are being groomed and abused by gangs of Pakistani men. Do something about it. She was being threatened with being thrown out of the meetings for becoming angry. If you don't calm down, we're going to have to exclude you from... All these things are facts. Now... 
when you're and on you'd the- like to think that I'd like to think as a mother if that was me I'd just go around and knock people out but then really when you think about it number one she probably ain't going to done for it which is the irony in this situation she probably would get arrested but you would think that you do but then if there's that many of them she's on her own she's had a nervous breakdown the life that she's living can she stop her daughters from doing it probably she didn't have that much control it's just the whole thing like you like to think and be judgmental and like oh has she not done something she but did being in that they situation tried. she's tried to go yeah. the proper way to the people who should be helping to look after us in society victims in society yeah. and they've told her to be quiet they've told her to be quiet and she wouldn't be quiet one of the men has actually pulled up on the, the roadside and threatened the, uh, the girls with a gun at gunpoint if they go to the police we're going to shoot you she even passed that on to the authorities and they they did nothing about that to this day that's not even recorded why why like why, why yeah why did they not like go around and be like mate you've got a gun because it's it's hard to do the, these they're very labor intensive these kind of investigations you know they're not just a five minute hit they take months to build bridges with these kids to get them to trust you is where the real work has to go in and it needs commitment, it needs time, it needs somebody to approach them who supports them. And initially on Operation Span, I felt that that really was happening. For the first three months, four months of that job... Um, so they've asked you in as a family liaison? No, as, as a detective, oh, right, as an okay. investigator. But because of my skills with vulnerable people, they had identified these girls these particular girls, has been at the centre of this investigation. And GMP, the, the people, you know, I'm talking about assistant chief constable level, had decided that these girls were needed for this prosecution. So they then approached So why me. did they think, like, all oh, right, now it's all right to start investigating these kind of things again? Because I don't think they could bury it. Because we've got a fetus. People started to sort of look around and, and it became very evident that there was a big problem. Um, and so they decided that they were going to open an investigation. I don't think that they wanted it to... I think they wanted a quick hit, yeah. really. I think they wanted a simple job to be able to say... That box closed now. Yes. And my belief is that as the girls that I spoke to started to really put the trust in me and to really talk about what, what was going on they very quickly realised that this job would explode into a place where they didn't want to go. So even though um, the girl who had been arrested had come back on board, based on the fact that the chief lawyer at the CPS had decided she was a pure victim, she had done nothing wrong, she was to be interviewed as a victim and supported through the process... Four or five months later, when she'd done hours and hours of interviews, she'd been to um, Viper ID parades and identified offenders, named men, taken, taken us around locations. They decided that they weren't going to use her anymore, um, that she was not considered a witness of truth. And it was at that... It, it had been coming for a while, actually. I, I can't, you know, in an interview, Michaela, it... I'm whizzing through everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but if somebody really wants to know the full account, they really need to read my book. Yeah. Because I've tried to simplify it and take through people through the 
the process step by step. step, by step. And when they decided they were no longer going to support her, it was at that point that I said, I am not doing this again. I, you know, I, I'm not, I can't support that. Um, and I walked off the job. How can they say that she wasn't a good witness? I, I do not agree with that to this day. I will never agree with it. And a witness is a witness. A victim is a victim. A victim is a victim. How do you have a good and a bad one? I, how many times? I can't. I've lost count of how many times I've said that. But far worse than what I've just told you there, about a year down the road, when I had left that job, I was still in the police, but not on that job. I was trying to be heard. A year down the road, when the prosecution was nearly at court and the barrister had read all the evidence, she decided that they couldn't run that trial without this, with, without Amber's evidence. And so in order to enter her evidence into court, they secretly added her onto an indictment as one of the paedophiles. They didn't arrest her. They didn't caution her. They didn't interview her. They didn't tell her. It was done in secret. And she didn't know that that had been done until I resigned from the police six months later because I was forbidden from going and telling her. Six months later, I went back and told her. And at that point, what they were actually trying to do was take her children away from her based on the fact that she'd been named as a paedophile on an indictment. And she didn't even know that. So I shared all my evidence then with a solicitor who worked with the family courts and, God bless him, the judge heard the full story and the truth and he threw the case out. And has anybody been no. held accountable? No. Who has said that is okay? They, Who is, this girl's life has been ruined and she's been let down I know. again and again and again by a service that we all pay a lot of money. Far. And but you're innocent until you are proven guilty is, in this country. How is that even... I don't know. I've, I've spoken to many barristers now over the years, including, you know, the most eminent barristers in the country, and there is not one of them who has heard of that ever happening before. The only time they would put somebody on an indictment without them knowing or being arrested is if it was an offender who had fled the country. This girl was living in Rochdale. They knew where she was living. And it, it was told to me in an official document that they'd added her onto the indictment purely as, and in inverted commas because I'm quoting, a tactical option to enter her evidence into court. Because you cannot enter evidence into a trial unless you are an offender or a witness. She wouldn't have come back on board then as a victim and a witness. She wasn't an offender. But they had to portray her as an offender to get that evidence into court. But they... The, the wickedness of that, that is unlawful. It is, everybody in this country should be frightened because that, if, if you go by those rules... Standards. Standards, then they could say you're a murderer and you would have no... Everyone's entitled to a right of defence. Yeah. You're innocent until you're proven guilty. Even Fred West had a legal defence. The reason they didn't do it like that was because any solicitor or lawyer worth the salt would have thrown it out the first hurdle because the top lawyer in the CPS had already decided that this child was a victim before I'd even been allowed to interview her. So the, 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 the neglect, the unlawfulness... Do you know who it was who was give this... Authorisation or this? My firm belief is that it must have been Nazir Afsal because he was the head of the CPS at that point. 
in Manchester. But he never talks about that. Um, so what was this the thing that you was like, I am done. Yeah, that I, was I, that was the thing yeah. where that was yeah. the thing that just sent yeah. you over the edge. Because yeah. you fought through it this as well. But then not all the men. So we people who've seen three girls in the documentary. I think eleven men got oh, convicted. Was it tip of the iceberg? So what? So I'm guessing that was already annoying you. The fact that there was hundreds more. Was there tens? More? You see what what worries me is that, um, and I did. I was I asked to go and um, contribute verbally to the Home Office Select Committee. They wouldn't allow me to, but they did allow me to submit a report. And in the report, there was lots of things in the report, but one of the things they accepted was that Greater Manchester Police failed to record all the rapes of these kids. So those those girls that I've just told you about, right? So the girl who, who was made pregnant, um, she was just 13. She had special needs. The man was 40 years old, married, three kids of his own. We knew he, we knew he had got her pregnant because we had the fetus. She eventually gave, I told them eventually that we had it, and they allowed us to get DNA from that fetus. So there was no debate about who, who had got her pregnant. She had a, a statement of special educational needs. She was going to a special school. She was 13 years old. In my book, that man should have been charged with rape. He wasn't. He was charged with sexual activity with a child, and he was out of prison within three years. Back walking the streets of Rochdale. He has been fighting extradition back to... Pakistan it still is to this day they've had millions of pounds in taxpayers money to fight extradition because he's argued that it will contravene his human rights well I'm sorry but what in my book what about rights? their what about the, the girls human rights yeah and do you know what my girl and my blood you can hear in my voice really that I can never let go of this because it is not justice well, because it, it is not the law I know a social worker around that area and I know that this is still going on it is. I, I'm. It's, it's still touch, taking yeah. place, and now the girls who was victims to it, not, not these girls, but some of the girls who have been victims are with these men. I've got children with these men, and I know friends with the younger girls as well. And are technically, I guess, helping to bring them in. But again, they've been victims of it, and they don't understand. Like this isn't all right because that, that's their life now, and they think, oh, Absolutely. this is a nice life for you, and not seeing actually what has happened to their lives and this is not normal. You should not have been with Absolutely. this man since she was but 12 the, when yeah. he's married, like... But though, those kids I've dealt with now, <clears throat> that you know, Ruby, she was in the drama. Ruby is now in her 20s. She absolutely knows now that she was failed when she was 12 and 13. She's got kids of her own. She now knows what they've done to her, but at 13, she didn't. Yeah. When I first met her, she basically told me, leave her alone. She, she loved what she was doing. It was fun because that's what grooming is. Yeah. But she told me on the, on her first interview, on her first two interviews, when she eventually agreed to talk, of five men who had, I think it was five men who had sex with her. Only one of those, there was only a record made of one of those. The other four were never arrested. Why or, that, This is what I was like, and this is what, like what does, is the, why? Is, well, because it, because it was, it, it exploded the job into areas they didn't want to go. It made the job more complicated, more complex. But the, when I wrote to the Home Office Select Committee, I told them that, and they accepted that that should have been recorded because as a police officer, your first duty is to record an allegation of a crime, and it doesn't actually matter whether you believe that person or not. You record it. You investigate it. You explain why it shouldn't go any further. If I had taken a report of a criminal damage from somebody, 
and I decided when they spoke to me that I didn't believe them. I would still have to record that. Yeah, you can't say one window was smashed when there were five. Yeah, or, uh, well, say, I don't know, say I knew, say you told me that you'd seen somebody smashing the window at the front of the market centre five minutes ago, yeah? I know that's not true because you're sat here with me, but I would still have to record that, and I would then write on that crime report, um, this is not truthful because actually Michaela was in my company, she can't have seen it at that point. So I don't just decide that I'm not going to record it. For all those rapes that that child told me, the only one recorded was the one that we had the fetus for. With the other, um, the other girl, with uh, Amber, she named in excess of nearly two dozen men who had raped her. And I will tell you to this day, there is not one record on on the police system of her having even been raped by one man which in itself is bad enough but when you think of all those men and how many other kids they've raped yeah. and the the re, you know another child coming forward and mentioning the same man there, there may not be a record there of what he's done before yeah. it's even if you can't take something to court you are still building up a database of information and yeah. facts Somebody doesn't just decide they are not going to record it and play down. Because if they record that and then they don't prosecute, they have unresolved rapes on their statistics, on the crime figures. So all these things are linked up. And, you know, my knowledge of my as, as a police officer gives my voice weight because I know the consequences of not doing this. We didn't. They took the analyst off the job um, within a month of starting the job. Well, you can't run a job like that without an analyst. You've got 40 officers gathering evidence from dozens of people. You need an analyst to pull it all together and make a timeline and pull together facts from different people. These little signals you possibly wouldn't appreciate if you're not in the job. Unless you've been involved in it. They're so telling. And so so when all this, so then you've gone like, right, this is just jokes. I'm, I'm leaving. I didn't. I, I didn't. I spent 15 months. I, I wasn't. I didn't want to leave. I went through every rank to try to be heard. You know, head of serious crime, the chief constable. Um, and I what went, was happening each time you spoke to someone? Got got fobbed off. No, they, they, like nobody was on your side. Nobody. No, they just said if lessons need to be learned. You know, basically this is above your rank. You're a detective. Senior officers. In fact, I was told senior officers make decisions. As a detective constable, you do as you're told, and if you can't do as you're told, you're in the wrong job. And I thought, and that was maybe a year after I'd started, and I thought, well, I'm in the wrong job because I can't let this go. I am going to speak out, and the only way the of doing it. The thing is, that, you were the only one actually doing your job, wasn't <coughs> it? People were frightened, though, Michaela. You know, like you say, people have got mortgages and they've got families, and but I'm the kind of person, I couldn't have slept in my bed at night. No. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not... We've just talked about the ethnicity of the offenders, and, and but I don't feel it is just about... I, th- I think it's a, an attitude, a class attitude as well, amongst the powers that be. You only have to look at, um, say, Hillsborough. You know, all those people in that block of flats, they're, they're kind of seen as an underclass by those who make the decisions. If it was their family, yeah, would they say it was OK? Yeah. Hillsborough, you know... It took 30 years for those families to be heard. Yeah. They, they covered up the truth because they're powerful people. They silence anybody who speaks out against them. And it, it was a very scary road for me. 
I, I, you know, I was threatened with data protection. You must not speak out. This is secret. But my conscience would not allow me not to mm-hmm. say anything. And, you know, I, I spoke to my kids at the start. I didn't want to resign. But ultimately, I, there was no alternative. Um, I either carried on with my job and just let it go again, or I left my job and I spoke publicly. And I just wanted something physical to know that I'd tried. And I never expected it to run this. I'd, I'd never, you know, I did a file on four. And then the documentary team heard that, and I already knew them from a, a big gang job that I'd worked on. And they came and approached me and asked me, would I bring everybody on board for a, a drama, which I did. I spent four years doing that, and then a documentary, and then obviously I've carried on speaking out and working with lawyers and supporting the kids, and I'm trying to... So, know. although you're not a police officer anymore, then this is taking you into somewhere, I guess, that you, you never thought it was going to be, you want to speak yeah. out, but you were still acting on behalf of these women yes, there I and am. the children who... who it, well, still 100%. 100% is still happening to the well, families out there. I get letters uh, and messages every day. Every That's day. So um, you know, I'm, I'm inundated with them, and I can't do for all those... It's, it's young men as well, actually, and it isn't just about grooming and that kind of abuse. It's about people who have been failed by the criminal justice system and who... It isn't always about a court case. In fact, I don't think it ever is about a court case. I think it's these kids being um, believed, being supported and being helped to move through what has happened to them. Yeah. The abuse has happened, and that's bad enough, but when those meant to protect them treat them as though they are a piece of meat, that never leaves them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I launched my, my charity last week, my foundation, and we had, um, I, had a, I invited a fantastic speaker called Professor Tanya Byron, and she came and spoke to us, and she explained very clearly that um, we have two opportunities to make a difference in kids' lives, and that's in the very early years... There's a thing in the middle of your head called a, an amygdala, I think it is. And in the very early years, they are very malleable. And yeah. you, you can, you, you you know, first, the early years are very important. Yeah, I think until the seven, like they say, That's they right. kind of develop the personality. That's right. Are they going to be by the Absolutely. time they're seven years old? But then there is another window of opportunity when they're an adolescent. Once they get into their early 20s, it is too late. It's The damage is done and you will never do away with it and that is where the authorities are failing these kids because when they first present and we know what's happening if we treat them in the right way and we give them the support that they need they can recover but when the those meant to protect them dismiss them and trample all over them because they can then that is even worse in my opinion than the abuse yeah well they've been abused and then neglected yeah and failed by those who All are meant again. to protect them. And especially when, as a victim, they're finally coming out and telling the story and acknowledging. So, like, when you were saying, um, you were speaking to one of the victims and she was saying, oh, no, I'm having a nice time or whatever, you've got to go in then and yeah. break down everything that she feels and get you to get her to trust you over yeah. these men who she's built up all this trust in. So she's finally broke down that connection with them, got a connection with you, yeah. and then the police force fail her. And that's what I could. She's just yeah. like time and time again. This yeah. is happening. She's trusted them, and then realised they've done this. Yeah. She's trusted the police force, and then they've done this. 
but actually they trusted me mm. you know I am the one sitting for seven months with these kids saying yeah. look trust me honestly we need to put these men away so they don't do it to other kids look you've got a baby of your own now what would you feel if it was your baby and that's why they helped not because they was they weren't being abused anymore they were out of it yeah so I was used because I was given cast iron guarantees on Operation Span that there would not be a repeat of Operation Augusta. And they would say, well, there wasn't. But I would say, no, you did go to court with a couple of the victims, yeah, but, but you are. failed yeah. so many and you used those kids. I pursued them on behalf of, of the big bosses yeah. because they pulled me in and say, told me to get these kids on board. We need them. And that's what I did. And then they changed the mind. It's just, it's and that sickening. was unacceptable. It's just sickening. And it, it is really scary as well. It is it's scary. It's really scary. Like, these are the people who are meant to protect us. This and is that's the system what that's me. meant to be looking after us. Yeah. And all right, and the smaller crimes and things, they might do the day-to-day, but it's like a larger thing, something large-scale like this. There's, if it's, is it not because they've not got the resources? Or is it just... You know what? If the Yeah, resources are tight, but... They need to prioritise. Yeah. And for me, there is nothing more important than protecting kids. No, no I'm with you. if they can't do that, then what's the point? But then it was, so let's, let's talk about the positives that have come from this for you, Maggie, personally. So since then, you've gone on, you've done your documentary, you went on Big Brother, Women yeah. of the Year. You've wrote your autobiography, which has just been released. What's the name of that again? Survivors. And, and really, anybody who's listened to this and wants to know more, go on Amazon, though, or um, Waterstones. Don't wait till you get to the airport, because WH Smith Travel at, at the moment are only stocking it at Manchester. Mm-hmm. So, and we're going to put the links on as oh, well. Oh, would you? For, yeah, and, and it really explains the full, the full journey. But I'm not the same person that I was. Well, now you've gone on to, um, to launch charity as well. That's yeah. the, Maggie. the Maggie Oliver Foundation. And we're and what is, tell us more about that and what you're doing. Well, I want to start a, actually a nationwide um, centre, the Maggie Oliver Centre. I want them throughout the whole country, but, have, you know, I've got to start small. So initially I want to set up a centre in Rochdale where survivors of abuse of all kinds can go. So not just survivors from groom who have been um, victims of the grooming gangs, but if you have a, a girl who's been forced into an arranged marriage who has nowhere to go in her own community, I'd like them to be able to drop in. Or a girl who's been subjected to female genital mutilation that's isolated in her own community. I want it to be a welcoming place, but where I probably have coffee mornings. It's all... In I'm, I'm, I need to get the funding first of all, but um, as well as just a drop-in centre where they can speak to each other and and feel welcome and safe and secure. Once they feel safe and secure, I want to then have access for them to speak to a counsellor, see a psychotherapist. Have so you're going to have resources, resources there, there. as well. It'll be a go-to place, which I hope will lead the way for the whole country into what these kids need because yeah. there is a massive vacuum 
um, throughout the country. There is no support there for these kids. And you know, sometimes victims of crimes such as this, they don't want to go to the police. No, they, they don't, don't. want to relive it. They don't. And you know, fair play, that's entirely up to them, isn't it? And so having somewhere like this, you know, you hear so many times of somebody being like, "Oh, I was at the youth club, and it was actually this one bloke who changed my life." Or it was my football Absolutely. coach. Absolutely. be the. It can just be one person, and if you yeah. then end up changing somebody's life, yeah. but they need the opportunities and the places yeah, to go to meet these people and, yeah. and to have people there who can professionally help them as well as just yeah, it doesn't always, volunteers yeah, who are going to help them. It, it doesn't always have to be a professional. What I do with, with the girls that I support, I don't have to be a professional to do that. You need somebody that you can trust, that will listen to you, that will support you and guide you as to where you want to go. Um, often it's just a listening ear. It's somebody to tell them that they've done nothing wrong yeah. and, and help them if they do want to take it further. If they need to talk to a, an expert, then somebody to just, you know, it, it quite often takes a while for them to start to want to talk about what's happened to them. Um, but I'd, I'd like initially to have a, a helpline as well where they can just ring in because even that's not easy to find um yeah, I've seen a thing actually the other day about child, um, child line. They're trying to, because now it's all like online, yeah. most kids will text in or whatever, then that's taking much more time than the, than the actual yeah. phone call. But they were saying that that's a really good service that they've got now, do you know, so they're not actually, yeah. because that's what kids do now, yeah. isn't it? They're just yeah, on, absolutely. They're online on apps. Or on. Absolutely. So it's just, um, to, I think to bring together, I think it's it's a place where I can, start to put my learning into a positive future for, for, for survivors. Um, but I want it to be all inclusive. And I think people know what I stand for. Um, I mean, I've spoken out about it enough. And I hope people feel that they can trust me. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any axe to grind myself because it has taken over my life in many ways. So what ways. if people wanted to help to raise money or to donate to this charity, then where, where would they go? Yeah, well, at the do? moment, we've got the Maggie Oliver Foundation, which is an incorporated... Um, it's incorporated. We're waiting for the charity number, but we have a, a Just Giving page. Um, the charity number should come through very shortly. So I'm just in the early stages of um, putting together the foundations. I would hope that by the end of the year... I will have a premises in Rochdale, so I am looking for a premises um, that we will be in a play centre to have a, just a drop-in centre to start with as I start to evolve into all the other areas. But, you know, I'm hoping by next year, it will all depend on whether I can get the funding. Yeah. People have already started to donate to just giving, you know, in a week we've had, you know, really brilliant donations. Um, it's just going to take time. But my book kind of tells everything and obviously I keep speaking out about it but I, I want to I want to refocus and look at the future as well and how I can improve things for the future that hasn't gone away and there's still a lot going on in my life personally to address that but I want to use what I've learned in the past seven years to help more kids and more survivors to feel that they can be heard um, yeah, well, because what you're doing there, with regards to the police, is it might take you, it might take another twenty years. The way, there'll be a point when it'll be like, oh my god, I can't believe all that. So she was telling the truth, but in the meantime, obviously, they do yeah. still need out. They need somewhere to go. They need somewhere to start to, don't yeah. they? 
And um, so then we'll put your social media ads on um, the podcast as well. That'd so that if people can follow you, then they can keep up to date That'd with your fair. charity yeah. and, and where they're going yeah. from there as well. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, you know, I'm just starting to get to great. I'm not very good on all that. Yeah. <laughs> Doing my best. But we do have, you know, I do have an, it's all Maggie Oliver UK. So we've got a, I've got an Instagram, I've got a Twitter, I've got a Facebook and LinkedIn I'm on now and... And I want somebody to there. help me. As if there's anybody out there who wants to help me <laughs> with my social media, please feel free to message me. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of work still to do, Michaela. And I am, I do care. I, you know, I, I do care. And I think I've, I'm really glad I've done my book because there's things in there about, you know, my, my own kids didn't really know. So on that level alone, it's there now forever. My little yeah. grandsons can hear it when I'm not here anymore yeah. and know that I I really have tried my best. Yeah. I'm still trying and I do think I do think that by speaking I do think I've been part of helping attitudes to change. Three girls, it's a drama. There's a lot that's not in there and there are some things that I think should have gone a lot further. But what it did, it's a fantastic drama. It has educated the country onto what grooming is yeah. and I think there is a an attitude now towards these kids that they have been failed, whereas previously the press always used to say that they were bad kids that yeah, they had they made. Make it like the part of it. As yeah, well. they blamed yeah. them. No, hundred percent. I mean, the work that you've done so far, Maggie, and and just like you say, just bringing it to the yeah. attention of the public and getting people to understand, like, no, these are actually victims. They are. So if you know that this is going on, then this child needs help. They yes. don't need grounding. No, they, they don't. They don't need smacking. They don't need ignoring. No. What they need is somebody to say, oh, listen, yeah. like, that is not right. Yeah. You need to stay away from this kind of person. They need yeah. some guidance. They don't have that. Like, no, they don't need judging. They need somebody to help them, you know, to point them towards the right, you know. But I think that... that for any parents or carers who are concerned about the kids, whether you know they're getting mixed up in this, I would say sit down with the drama, um, watch it. You know, get a pizza, get a drink, and watch it, and that will allow. You know what teenagers are like. They don't want to talk about yeah. themselves. They don't want to say to the mum or you know, oh this guy. You know, I'm a bit worried. He's uh, took me to this house and there was all you know they don't want to do that but if they're watching a drama it could open up a conversation mm-hmm. about what's happening on the drama and that makes them feel safe to talk about it yeah. I think that's a really important um, tool tool to use yeah. and you know I've got a few things on my website sort of places where they can go um, we're still starting to collect things together because I've had my fingers burnt a couple of times you know I, I've that's why I've stayed on my own because people have their own agendas and I'm trying to everything I say I believe agree with me or don't agree with me I, I honestly believe what I'm saying is the truth um so I'm trying to put together a safe package for people to access that will help um but there is there is a long way to go but I think that the biggest thing is that there is an understanding in the country now that kids who are groomed in this way are vulnerable yeah. and have been failed by the authorities, um, and often the, you know they get into trouble with the police. There's lots of there's an argue, there's a case going on at the moment because um, some of the girls that I know they have been criminalised as a result of being groomed and abused. You know, one girl she's got a racially aggravated 
several racially aggravated public order offences against her for, for screaming abuse at one of her abusers across the road. She was locked up and charged. He walked away scot-free. Um, I just don't... I just don't understand no. how it's even, like... How is this even reality? How is that reality? Because it's easy so to you do. you can be raped, yeah. but you can't tell somebody off for raping you. Absolutely. The, this, I mean, I can't swear because I'm, like, I'm on here, but, the, you know, the abuser shouted across the road at her, called her a da 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 um, white slag and she shouted back at, at him she was arrested, charged, prosecuted she now has a racially aggravated public order offence against her she can't get a job <laughs> in yes. in many areas because that will you stay on her she, record she's not going to start saying to people oh well actually abuse me no, because she's the, never going to be able to no, put it into context but there is a challenge I mean, um, <clears throat> Harriet Wistrich is challenging that um, Harriet's who I'm working with on, on various things but she's challenge, challenging that in the Supreme Court that these cases should, you know, should not be disclosed when they go for a job because another girl was um, in a car, a, a, a girl that I've know, you know, supported for seven years. Um, she was stopped in a car with uh, a lot of older men. She was fifteen, no driving license. She was driving the car. She was three times over the drink drive limit. She was arrested, prosecuted, lost a license she didn't even have. The men walked away. They didn't even recall the names and addresses of the men. Now, I would be asking, what are you doing in this car with all these men and why are you driving? Mm. And it's, it's simple things like that that, you know, I've, I've been hi- I'm highlighting them all the time. We, we need awareness, first of all. So if somebody sees something like that, um, you know, challenge it. Uh, be, perhaps be brave if you... If, if something doesn't feel right, it usually isn't right. Mm. But I think we have to be a bit more interfering, if you like. Yeah. Well, and this is another thing what's happened with society now. Do you know what? How many times have you heard somebody's alarm going off and been like, I wish that alarm had stopped? And don't actually go around to check. Whereas people was busy 50 years ago. Like, if yeah. there was an alarm going off somewhere, then the neighbourhood would be yeah. there. If somebody has done something wrong, there was probably a lot more judgmental. So there's pros and cons to it as yeah. well. Yeah, you know, yeah. They would just jump on the back of somebody who might not necessarily have actually done anything. So there are <laughs> pros and cons. So it's just trying to find this balance with being involved in your community, understanding what's going yes. on around you, understanding yeah. this happens there, actually. Yeah. Keep your eye out for it. Yeah. And understanding, like, at the same time, don't go and convict the person, though, because they're not necessarily definitely going. No, no, but... So it's um, just having the yeah, balance. Yeah, it is having... I mean, I think... I mean, police... Policing <clears throat> has changed. You don't really see a police officer walking around the streets anymore. You used to have... You know, from, from my point of view, police are good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they ordinary police officers are normally there to help. Yeah. Um, when you used to get somebody walking around the streets, you know, I did in Moss Side. I used to know people. You'd have somebody living on their own, and you'd go for a brew, or and yeah, it might not be, you might not be filling the form in, but you were building up a knowledge of that community. PCSOs are not quite the same. Do you know so many? I saw, I've got a couple of friends who are police officers and they just said the whole issue is, like, no matter what goes on, then if it's a small incident, 10 minutes, then it's a day's paperwork. And, it like, is. we can't go out and the police officers because we've got to fill out so much paperwork for it. Yeah. That it's, it's, you do feel a bit like, why don't they just... But then at the same time, if they're not filling out this paperwork, you've got the issues, what you're saying <gasps> has happened here. Well, I don't know. I mean, for me, the, the failures that I've seen are not down to individual police officers at the bottom of the pile, like me. The failures are all down to the people at the top who are pulling the strings, mm. and they feel that they are uh, 
beyond the law. They are yeah, they're, not they're held accountable. Yeah, they made a decision like, yeah. oh, and well, all this these, is what I'm yeah. saying about that, and I'm your boss, yeah. so... And I'm incredulous after everything that I've said that nobody has been held to account for what mm. they've done. And I, um, that for me and needs so to be addressed. the chap that you said who was, um, chief, I forget the... The chief constable. Yeah, what what was he called again? Peter Fahey. Oh, no, the other one. Andy N- Burnham. Nazim. Oh, Nazir Afsal. He was in the CPS, he wasn't a police officer. Oh, right, okay. So he, he, he's resigned, you know, he's gone. Um, and so what about these these ones, who, the police officers? Are they still in the police force? Well, the, the chief constable that I tried to be heard, that he was in charge when Operation Span, that I tried to go and see, that I wrote to, documented everything that I was saying, he wouldn't meet me. Well, he was, a couple of years later, he was knighted. And they, they resign, uh, they retire with, a, with a, a really big pension. And once they've retired, they're beyond reach unless you bring a criminal case. And to bring a criminal case against a police officer, it's um, it's called misfeasance in a public office or, um, um, it, you know, it, it's, a it's, ver- something very extreme. it's a very, very difficult case to mount. And really, once they've retired... But the, do you, the, So do you think, really, he, sh- he should be investigated? Do you think there is a case to be made? hundred percent. But I don't think, I think that we need a, a radical change in policing. I think we need to have accountability for those who are shown to have failed in their duty. But I think it should be retrospective. And the reason I say that is because if somebody who was a chief constable today knew that in 10 years time, they could be pursued for the failures that they knowingly were responsible for today. I think it would make them think differently about the decisions yeah. they make today. Yeah. It's too late for what's gone before. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for changes for the future. And um, without accountability... But until that first one's happened, yeah. they will never think it's a reality. No. So the decisions today, Maggie, <clears throat> will still be getting made. And the consequences in 10 years' time, do you know, they, they need to see that first one we, of we do. who and, is and maybe. That case today in well, the Daily Mail yeah. about uh, Sir Bernard, what's his name, Bernard, the, he was the, the head of the Met. It's a judge who has actually spoken publicly in the Daily Mail about the Met uh, senior officers lying and getting search warrants unlawfully based on lies and then not disclosing those papers when there's been a freedom of information. Now, for a judge to come out and say that, that is quite normally they all stick together i'm saying it and i'm speaking the truth but i was just a detective constable you know i can easily i think i'm less it's less easy to bat me off because i've said it so often and it is the truth and i think it rings true because i know it inside out yeah but with a judge saying that about the head of the met i think serious questions need to be asked and maybe this is the case that will be the first one. It needs to be something, I think, and then people will start yeah. realizing, sitting up yeah. and taking notice. At the moment, those are the good, top. just doing the job that they're paid for, yeah. not a job that somebody else is telling them. The job that you yeah. are paid for is 100%. to serve and protect. And yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You not listen to a home secretary who yeah. does not understand the reality of real life in no. Rochdale. I no. mean, what a prick anyway. Uh, yeah. They should be getting done as well. Absolutely. Well, I, that's, I've said it. this is a political... I think, Chief, I think Chief Constables are now political pawns, really. We don't have an independent police force anymore. And this isn't a party political point because I, I think Labour and Conservatives have, have all been equally bad. They all piss in the same part. Yeah, yeah. They, they? yeah they, they have... 
um, you know, the looking at money, at resources, at the looking what, at four years. How can we get through this term and look really good in the short term? Well, a burglary is started in yeah. a day, or yeah. a car theft is started in a day, or child grooming. That's not going to be started for another decade. Absolutely. So therefore, we don't give a shit. And actually, even if you report a burglary now, you don't get a police officer to come round. You get a crime number. You know, you, we, we need a completely radical overhaul of the whole criminal justice system, yeah. in my opinion. That, I mean, that is what you should do. Be like a police liaison officer and go in and be like, this is what needs to change. Oh, I wish you'd let me go in. I'd, yes. I'd decimate Maybe it. Maybe just go in and be like, fired, 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 <laughs> fired, 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 fired. Oh, well, Let's I w- start again. I, I would rejig all the resources. I mean, the, you know, it's another debate to be had. But you look at the drug laws, you know about the millions and billions of pounds people in, in prison for for take or for, for taking drugs and then they come out and everybody knows that they're a drug addict they put them in a hostel where drugs are on tap and easy mm. it, it's just it's just a far it's hypocrisy you know put that money into something worthwhile, give them treatment when they need it, try and help them get off the drugs. Yeah, Use, you do just think, like, who is running it? Like, yeah, is where it, is the yeah. brains behind this? There's just absolutely it's like no like the, the, You know, it's like, I can't, I don't, what's it like, the mad people running the asylum, something like yeah. that. It, it is I crazy. I think you just got that far now down the line with, like, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, that it, it's just gone on and on and on, that the rules literally don't make sense anymore. They don't, like, they're just These are ridiculous. procedures, and there's nobody there to link them up and be like, this needs to change because it is it's common sense nonsense. Yeah. it's common sense and ordinary people i am a i absolutely believe in the law and in the criminal justice system because i feel if you can't trust that then we're, we're going to a, a country that's got vigilantes and yeah. lawlessness on the streets i'm a big believer in justice and but when the general public no longer trust that system you've got a problem and everywhere and you're hearing a lot of it all the more time and more, the more time that's going on we're hearing more. Well, and today a we, judge there's more people the, the population is, is growing constantly yeah. and the police force is not growing with that and the the procedures that they take are not adapting to no. the amount of people that are there and, and all the and all the rest of it and they can say as much as they want resources but it is just a fundamental service that we need like the NHS 100%, 100%. police force and fire brigade we need, we it's need a necessity it, it is a necessity so this should be this should just be more fun isn't yeah. it? I mean Boris Johnson's saying he's going to get 20,000 more police officers on the streets I don't think that will make a difference in itself I mean I've just had a, an email this morning because GMP have brought in some kind of new database and and apparently it's falling apart the seams. It's not safe. People can't get on the radios. They can't press the emergency buttons. Mm. Um, that is officers on the street in danger. Mm. But they've spent millions and years to get this system, which apparently is crap. So, you know, it's not that the money's not there. The people who are spending it are just not spending it in the right way. And they've probably never run a household budget or yeah. never looked at, you know, they're, they're out of touch. Yeah. But I, I said... That's the, what I'm saying about these people who are giving these orders. They're just... Yeah. And, I mean, ultimately, this is a conversation that does come down to politics as yeah, well. Yeah, You can't... I just don't believe we have politicians in this country representing... I agree. ...human beings who live in this country. They're out of they, touch. They're just completely... Yeah, they are. ...bonkers. Like, yeah. They're out because, they're, you know, they've been brought up different to... They're in the top 1% of brought up, and the other 99% of us are looking 100%. at them like, oh, so I've got a choice yeah. of him, or him, or him, or her. Yeah. Like, this is literally 100%. who I'm choosing between. It's like choosing between yeah. Satan yeah. and Satan. It is. It's I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> there is no choice. Like, oh, well, I'll go for this one because that's yeah. who my mum used for. Like, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and I used to say that... 
um, I was saying that I've said it in many interviews. You know, to Peter Fry, if this was your thirteen-year-old child that a forty-year-old man had got pregnant, and we had a fetus, and we knew who it was, would you say that your daughter was making a lifestyle choice? Would you say that she's a paedophile, or that, or that your fifteen or fourteen-year-old was a paedophile because she is that um, scared? And I mean, we now have um, control and coercive behaviour, don't we? That law was brought in for domestic violence. Yeah. And you've got 40 and 50-year-old women who have been controlled and coerced through their whole life because they're terrified. What chance has a 14 or a 15-year-old kid got no. with a gang of paedophiles who is threatened that they're going to shoot her? You know, And then she's put on an indictment as a paedophile, as a 15-year-old victim, that the top lawyer in the CPS has said is a victim. It, there is something seriously wrong. And it's because they're so, but the thing is, they are detached from society yeah. and from fucking reality from 100%. the sounds of it like because if they did put this into perspective that is my daughter or they don't have, yeah. that's my niece that's my whoever yeah. then they would perhaps start See, seeing this is a human being just because yeah. you haven't met her and you haven't that's right. listened to this properly and you've skim read a file that's you right. can't just close the book on it and say no. this is it and I'm they need it, but they just they just loop her they yeah. need more normal people in just I agree with you. Throughout all of these, like the heads, the politicians, all of them. And I get that's why you like Tandy Burnham because he seems very much more in touch with reality. Yeah, with normal people and all the rest of it. But then again, there's feelings. But he's he's one person. So who's he having to deal with to help you out with this as well? Because he's one normal person. What about if he's talking to 10 absolute nut jobs? I mean, a good question. I, I mean, I was just. I still say now, but a good question to ask yourself if you are doing something in the police or the courts. Do as you would be done by. If this was you, how would you want to be treated? Mm. And normally, if you look at that honestly and you've done that, then you've done the right thing. But all too often, it's do as I say, not as I do. And they would want to be treated. The people at the top want to be treated differently from those at the bottom. And that is a massive problem in our society because they, they think they're better and they're the powerful and they generally ones just because they've got a better job or yeah. they're living a nicer house that well, they're better, aren't your they? morals are absolutely yeah. shocking so actually these people are better than you who don't live in that fancy house and don't have this cushy yeah. job they're better than you yeah. because they are better human beings yeah. and you're just a bit of a it, it's kind of about right and wrong mm. old-fashioned values again yeah but there are some things so wrong well, to me, there are some things so wrong. To everyone, Maggie, not yeah. in your own bit. So wrong that you, you have to stand up and be counted. And, you know, if it had been a burglary that hadn't been dealt with properly, I wouldn't have done this. It wouldn't have gone this far. I would have yeah. kicked off and said I didn't agree. And, I, you know, there's four kids, like, when I was in the probation, went round a supermarket eating a sausage roll, and the policy was to lock them up. Um, you know, you didn't just warn them. I went along, and I thought, well, we're going to have four vans, eight police officers, four appropriate adults, solicitors, custody officers. Get the mothers in to pay for the sausage roll. I nearly lost my job because it was not policy. Well, use a little bit of common sense. Use the fun, yeah. And it's a sausage roll at the end of the day. (laughs) It's a bit like full Monty, you know, chucking the sweet up in the air and eating No, but I mean, this is what it comes down to, just a bit of common sense as well, yeah. It is... It is needed in abundance, I think. Well, Maggie, is there anything else that you want to tell us about, you want to promote before um, we... No, if anybody's got a job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I appreciate you letting me um, speak out. I would ask people to buy my book, support what I'm trying to do, and 
if we all join voices together and carry on banging the drum, talking about this. talking about it, then eventually the changes will come. Because we've moved a long way, I think, in the seven years since I started batting on about this. You know, I do yeah. think we've we've moved, but it's you've just done too an amazing slow. job, Maggie. And honestly, you know, like I love you. I think you're just an Accomplish. absolute inspiration. Mm. Genuinely, like there just aren't many people who put the whole wives on the line do, doing what you've done you didn't know what the consequences was going to be you've had to give up your job your whole life has changed yeah, because it of has it changed. you've been through your own personal stuff what stuff while going through this journey as well like that is not many people would take that on and it's admirable Maggie like you should be you. really really proud of yourself and I really really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to to tell You're everybody welcome. about it and just um, creating more awareness as well thank you Michaela Thanks for listening. Please remember to visit www.michaela-wayne.co.uk. Subscribe to the podcast, leave your feedback and don't troll.